podcast that takes you with us without kidnapping you. Travel Instigator. We bring our travel stories and some funny behind the scenes happenings to life in this fresh new take on telling travel tales. Travel Instigator. Are you ready to take off? Let's go. As seen in Swanky Retreats and Caribbean Living Magazines. Hi guys, it is PETA, uh, the Travel Instigator. We don't have David with us today, but we are hosting Sophie. You remember Sophie. It's lovely to see you. Thank you for having me back on the Travel Instigator Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. All right, Sophie, I always love your pieces. Some of the letters from are more like feature stories. You give such detail. You give such quality editorial. And here on the Instigator, we want to have you bring a letter from Europe from the autumn issue to life. You were in Palermo, Italy. Was Is that where were you? Yes, Palermo. So the island of Sicily is actually off the south coast Sorry, the the island of Sicily is off the south coast of Italy in the Mediterranean and Palermo is the main city on the island. So although Sicily is part of Italy, it feels like a a separate territory. It's a bit like going to Puerto Rico from the rest of the United States. Um, It's got the sort of hybrid identity. Yes, it's Italy, but it's also not Italy. And Palermo, being the biggest city on the island, feels like a capital but in a small and accessible way. I love that that it's one and the same but tell us a little bit more about the diversity of Sicily and what really sets it apart from mainland Italy. So there are two major islands that belong to Italy there is Sicily and there are Sardinia and both of them are quite substantial territories but because they're physically removed from the mainland they've got their own history their own culture And often the geography is a little bit different too. Now, Sicily is very famous for its food. Uh, It's famous for its architecture. And it's also famous for the mafia. Lots of people, the first thing that they think of when they hear Sicily is is the mafia. And yes, that's part of their history, part of their tradition. But it's certainly not the only reason (laughs) or the only character of, of this place. Thankfully. And you stayed, where was it, the Piazza Borsa? Is that where you were? Yes, So this is a a fantastic, uh, very centrally located hotel in the old part of Palermo. And I think one of the best things about going to Italy is being able to experience these fantastic historic cities with their historic architecture. And you want to be able to stay right in the middle of it. I don't want to go to an ancient or medieval city and stay in a hotel that was built in 1980. I want to go and stay in a building where I feel like I'm part of the city's history, and I'm immersed in uh, its its culture and its design. Immersive travel. That's really, why would you go and not immerse yourself in the culture, the food, the people, the scenery? You might as well stay home or stay in like a big box hotel that's going to offer you whatever it will offer you in Hawaii or Australia or, yeah. 
Exactly. And Palermo is a really multi-sensory experience. Yes, it's the very beautiful picture postcard kind of scenes, but when you're there, it's also about the smells, it's about the sound, it's about listening to the church bells ringing or people chattering away in Italian on the street or the sound of bicycle bells going past you. So you've got the audio as well. And then, of course, is, is the food and the flavours and the smell of the food, which any market you go into, any restaurant, your stomach will be rumbling as soon as you've crossed the threshold. Oh, delicious. So Sicilian food is markedly different than, let's say, Milanese food or anything on the mainland. Again, probably because of its position in the middle of the sea. Yeah, so obviously being an island, you've got fantastic seafood. You do get good seafood across Italy, but being an island, there's more of it. You're always very, very close to the sea. So fantastic prawns, a particular um, passion of mine, um, but also the, the fresh vegetables, the breads, and really good patisserie. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I particularly enjoyed in Palermo were the cannoli, which are the, uh, it's like a, a roll of pastry filled with cream and often with pistachios or with other uh, nuts, sometimes perhaps with zest of lemon, um, so a really decadent treat to have in the afternoon. I have to ask because I know there are going to be a few foodie listeners that ask about a specific type of meat that is rumored to be eaten in Sicily. Did you try horse meat? I didn't in Sicily. I've eaten horse meat before in different countries. Um, I had it in Japan, for example. Okay. Uh, I've had it in Kyrgyzstan. It's, it's not my favourite, um, but I think it's one of those things, if you grow up in a culture where horse meat is, is standard food, you don't ever think about it. I grew up in the UK. People think eating horse is a bit yes, weird. But if you go to France, if you go to Italy, actually it's a perfectly normal thing. And people think, well, why wouldn't you eat horse? You eat cow, you eat pig, you eat sheep. What's so different about a horse? <laughs> yeah, I guess we've, we've domesticated them so much and they've become adored and they're, they're family treasures. And Yeah, people feel it's a bit like a pet and I, I can see it's a, it's a leap into the unknown. But from a, a purely taste point of view, yeah, fine. Okay. <laughs> All right, good to know. And also good to know, <laughs> along with dispelling the, the mafia rumor and that connection to Sicily, um, I'm going to also... Strike off the horse meat as being prevalent. Um, but something that's entirely optional. And what I always say to people with something like horse meat, it is considered to be quite a delicacy. So you're never going to be able, you're never going to be given it by accident. It's something which is quite special. It's something quite okay. expensive. So don't ever worry that you've, I don't know, ordered a lasagna or a, a bolognese and they've snuck in horse meat. They're not going to do that to you because it's a special <laughs> product. They're going to tell you about it if it's there because they want you to to choose it and pay extra for it so um don't, yeah. don't worry about being given it by accident perfect i like that great explanation all right from the horse i want to go back to the architecture in your piece you wrote something that was very poignant you said inside if you look up there's a square inside an octagon inside a circle and that draws me in that Tell me more about that. That's looking up inside a church. There are so many 
churches and monasteries and other religious buildings in Palermo because of the historic influence of the Catholic Church, which is still very influential across Italy and in Sicily. And the buildings that were built, they were reflections of two things. One is the belief that architecture and particularly religious architecture should glorify God. So the architecture and the builders should come up with something which is awe-inspiring so that when a person steps over the threshold of the church, that they felt, felt the awe of the presence of God just by the space that they were in. Secondly, these buildings were always paid for by very wealthy benefactors. Um, it wasn't necessarily that the church paid for it. It would be uh, a king or a landowner or a merchant. And so they are also wanting to show off to all of their contemporaries, look how much money I've got, look what an incredible building I've commissioned, um, and, and look what I'm doing for God and for the church. It's, uh, it's a, the, the medieval equivalent of my car is bigger than your car or my, uh, my penthouse suite is better than yours. Okay, I did not another tip that I'm going to look out for. Always love visiting churches when I travel, and especially in Italy. That, that Catholicism is so, as you said, innate in that society. And I, I, I visited, of course, you know, St. Peter's and, and those things and gone through Vatican City. And you do get, I get a, a sense of place and I get almost goosebumps sometimes looking at the statuary and almost the over-the-top decadence that I, I'm Anglican and we don't really have all of that in our churches. So I like it, but I'm going to look with a keener eye now at some of the symbolism. I think down there you wrote um, the circle on, on that same vein of what that quote that I was pulling from your piece. The circle is God, the square is earth, and the octagon faith or belief. It sounds a bit like the Da Vinci Code, I know, but there is often these uh, symbolisms and these hidden messages in the buildings. And that's actually one of the challenges of being a modern audience. We've lost a lot of our understanding of what these things represent, but actually had you gone into that building in, in 1500 or 1600, the congregation would have known exactly what these things represented. They may not have been able to read, which is why the art whether it's the stained glass or the paintings or the frescoes are so important. Um, but all of these visual uh, symbols gave very clear messages to the people who were going to the church um, about uh, how they were supposed to think, how they were supposed to pray, and stories that they were much more familiar with than we are. And speaking of grand buildings, they didn't just leave it up to the church, right? Where did you stay? Because that's always been one of the grandest buildings in Palermo, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, it's absolutely a, a fabulous, fabulous space. Um, you're right, it's not just the church who had money. Um, and in many ways, because there were competing sources of power, um, if somebody was was a, a king or original ruler, he's got, he is in competition with the church to occupy the best bit of town um, and to, to show off his the skills of his architects and his craftsmen. So there are fantastic public buildings as well and private residences. And the exciting thing about um, Borsa is that you can actually now stay there. Uh, so it's not like having to stay in a modern hotel bus in, you are actually inside a historic monument, which 
has been updated for the 21st century. It's got all of the uh, facilities and amenities that you would want, but it's got that spectacular facade, the staircases and all of the architectural features that make you feel you're living in a piece of history. And that's what we go for. I keep saying it. Sounds redundant. <laughs> that's what we go for. We don't want to stay home. And I love that the name. It's. I often say if you have to say luxury in the title, it's not great. Or if you have to say grand. But this one sounds like it's at the Grand Hotel Piazza Borsa. It just yeah, embodies just <laughs> everything you're saying about the architecture. And you're only steps away from all these other churches, etc. Right? When you're staying there. Yeah, and I think it also, it epitomizes the grand tour. And if we think back to the, the 18th and 19th century, wealthy uh, Europeans, it was almost a rite of passage that in their, uh, perhaps in their early 20s or when they got married, that they would do several months traveling around Europe, going to the great cities, um, staying in fabulous places like this, and then collecting art and sculpture and other things and bringing them back to their grand houses. So if you go, for example, to a lot of the National Trust properties in the UK, you see things that were collected. Oh, this came from Palermo. Oh, this came from Rome. Oh, this came from Athens. Because whoever was the owner of the house in the 18th century had been on his holidays. Um, he had travelled all across Europe on a grand tour, collecting glorified holiday souvenirs. And sadly, we probably haven't got the budget no, no, these no, days to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> to to do that but you do still see some of the crafts are still being done particularly things like the wood carving um, handmade paper that the Italians are fabulous at um, uh, inlay work uh, all of these these beautiful things that we can have in a small scale we may not have a, a mansion and be able to to kit it out entirely with with great works of art and, and fantastic crafts but we can at least have there's something between that and the shot glass and you know the inlays in your home we, we can meet somewhere in the middle we can have our own bits and pieces yeah I love that's something I do like is collecting pieces of art or treasures again not a shot glass not a, a fridge magnet but something to enhance my home when I'm home both of us right now we're speaking to each other from different parts of the world yeah in hotel rooms yeah like so I, I I love getting home so that I can admire the pieces I've collected while I'm away but sometimes we have to work while we're away which which you often do as you're writing so eloquently for us and all of our issues of swanky retreats no I'm very 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 fortunate to to be here and to be able to travel in so many fantastic places and in fact I'm, I'm back in Italy right now it is probably my favorite European destination and every opportunity I have I'm I'm back exploring another part of the country. Well, okay is that a teaser? What are we writing about next? Well <laughs> so this week I'm in in and around Bologna um, which I'm sure you've had a spaghetti bolognese. Um, yeah. It's named after the city of Bologna. Actually in Bologna you never have spaghetti bolognese. They don't think that the bolognese sauce goes with spaghetti uh, they have it with tagliatelle instead, and it's a much thicker sauce with bigger pieces of meat. Uh, but in theory, at least, this is where the dish came from. So I am eating my way around the city and around the surrounding areas because this is the area that produces Parmesan cheese. It's the mm. area which produces balsamic vinegar. 
the Arab oh. produces mortadella, the um, salami-type ham. So all of these fantastic foods. I'm eating my way around, and I'll be sharing my, my recommendations with you soon. I love it. Will that be another gastronomic gallivant? Is that what we're, we're shooting for? I think it could well be at this rate. <laughs> I'm going to have a bigger pair of pants, I think. <laughs> oh, it's a hazard of the job. It's a hazard of the job, and we are thankful for it. Well, Sophie, we are going to wrap up this episode of The Travel Instigator. Again, tell everybody a little bit more about you, a really quick bio in case they missed the past two episodes. So my name is Sophie Ibbotson. I work in tourism development and as a travel writer. I've written five guidebooks for publisher Brat Guides, and I love to travel particularly to emerging destinations and to out-of-the-way destinations, even in more common uh, tourist places. And we love having you on the Travel Instigator. Travel, Travel Instigator. Instigator. We'll take you with us without kidnapping you. Travel, Travel Instigator. Instigator. We'll take you with us without kidnapping you.